Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. Give the youth of Philadelphia exposure to opportunities and watch them soar. I came out of the program super happy and had a different outlook on things. A group of black and Latino youth graduated from the Build 360 Carpentry Pre-Apprenticeship Program, which is coordinated by a minority woman-owned work readiness and employment placement company in the region. We'll talk with the head of the program and her students who learned framing, flooring, drywall, and emotional wellness. Jared A. Howard searches the city to bring you inspiring stories of interesting people. I walk down the aisle and I get to see everybody's faces. It's just like surprise, wide eyes, no matter how old they are. That's all coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Last month, 10 Black and Latino youth between the ages of 18 and 24 graduated from the Build 360 Carpentry Pre-Apprenticeship Program, which is coordinated by N1 Opportunities, LLC. It's a certified minority, woman-owned, work readiness and employment placement company serving the region. Now, the students learned framing, flooring, brick, drywall, all that stuff, even more. And they participated in emotional wellness and support sessions as well. Here to tell us all about this program and the organization are Myra Brown, Chief Executive Officer of N1 Opportunities, LLC. And her students, Kenny Smith and Alex Valle are here. And Robert Wisely, he's a Master Carpenter Instructor with Carpenters Joint Apprenticeship Training Center, and he's with Carpenters Local 158 of Philadelphia. Welcome, everyone. How you doing? Hi. Hi. All right. Well, first of all, Myra, we'll start off with you because... I know I've seen you in the community a couple of times. I saw you at a press conference not long ago, and I saw the students with their tool belts on. They were guys, girls, young people, and I said, what is going on there? What is this? And you were talking about it a little bit. So, Myra, tell me all about N1 Opportunities. Sure. So, uh, N1 Opportunities is a company that I created. We're seven years strong now. We are headquartered in Philadelphia. Um, our offices are in Center City, and we actually have a workforce center at the Nice Town Tioga Library at um, Broad and Erie. In that library, we offer services like computer services, work readiness, interviewing techniques, etc., and a lot of individuals from the community access us. We service about 600 people a year coming into that center and um, helping them connect with employment, helping them with new hire paperwork, helping them with their resume, everything that they need to be work ready. I developed this program uh, called Are You Ready? Because no one is and everyone thinks that they are. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it really is a work readiness assistance program for the average job seeker, but it also helps the employer. Our employer and business community, as you know, is still suffering um, post-pandemic, finding qualified help. They can find help, but qualified help. And those are people who are not going to ghost, who are not going to coast. 
uh, who are really sincere. And what we do is we try to help people realize if they really are ready and if it's the right job. Everyone thinks, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. More so because they have bills to pay. But you want to have that passion. You want to have that longevity. And the employers want to have that retention. So we're making sure we have the right match and that people really are ready. And sometimes they go through our training, which could be over a period of time. So we're not a staffing agency. We're working with them over months and months. We make sure it's what they really want to do. And we've been very successful as a result of this. Um, You know, when we start working with them and helping them through, and, and we do a lot of work on the person to make sure we release that trauma that comes from whatever their situation was. Because even if you left a job on your own, if you resigned, if you were restructured, or if you were terminated, there's going to be trauma no matter what it is, right? So we try to get through that first so they're not bringing that to a new employer, which often hampers them. I think the biggest challenge with most people as they try to move into new employment is making sure they balance their personal lives. A lot of times they think about the job, but they don't think about, hmm, I have to take two buses. And right now that's okay. But in February when there's snow on the ground and they're not running. (laughs) So we try to help them realize all those things that they're really not thinking about right now. Now, the 360 program, I believe it's called the Field 360 360. program. And that, of course, uh, Kenny and Alex were in the program, both graduated? Yes. Okay, that's awesome. Tell me about that particular program. And I know Bob... This is where you come in because you were involved here as well, helping to train the kids, right? I was. How did you link up with Bob? So, well, I also co-own a construction company. Oh, wow. And we have a contract with the city of Philadelphia. And so in my frustration, a lot of times in construction, even in hiring for my own company, we couldn't find people who could do basic work, framing a room, um, flooring, drywall, it's really more of a challenge than you would think because everyone who's doing that kind of work are either a Bob, they're in a union and they're already working, or they are working for some private contractor or developer. If I run an ad or if I do an inquiry, I get 100 people who say, I can do demo or I'm a laborer. And we don't need that because you can go sit out in front of Home Depot and find that for free, right? And unfortunately, I was seeing more people of color who really were in their 40s and 50s I had an opening for an employer here locally, a major contractor. They had four positions available for a demo, and 53 people showed up. And most of them were over 40, and they were in the union, the building trades union. And I said, well, okay, we filled those four positions. Can you do framing? Because I have two framing contractors. No, I can't do that, but I can do demo, and I can do general labor. And we can find those. So I knew that there was a gap there. I knew that there was a need there because I can't find them half the time for my business. And other employers who are contractors come to me for the same thing, and it's been harder and harder to find. So I started looking around, and this opportunity came from the state of New Jersey. They said, listen, we have money. We want you to come up with some great program that's really going to service the community and diminish ACEs. ACEs are adverse childhood effects, Uh, all the trauma the unemployment, substance abuse, homelessness, food deserts, all the things that we know generationally can be passed on. And I said, you know, I could put together a great summer camp or something like that. But no, I'm going to construct, I'm going to construct this program (laughs) where we could get young black and Latino males and females in and teach them a trade. At least the beginnings of it, the basics, which is what most contracting employers are looking for. So I said, when I do this, though, I can't have anyone teaching this, not any old person teaching it. 
I need union carpenters because if they teach them the union way, they might get in the union, or even if they go with a private contractor, they will always know the right way to do right. it. And so I put out an ad, and Bob didn't apply initially. <laughs> uh, one of his colleagues applied, and he said, you know, I got this great guy. And then I connected with Bob, and as soon as we talked, we were just so on the same page. We were finishing each other's sentences. He had wow. such a great personality, and I was like, can I please hire you? <laughs> and he's been amazing. Wow, so this was definitely a match made in heaven, so to speak. Uh, how have things been working uh, with the organization and with the kids? It's been a really a challenge, but it's been a lot of fun, and I've enjoyed it quite a bit. They come to us with uh, limited skills. A lot of them haven't even used the tape measure before. So we start with the very basics because that's uh, building uh, one of the basics in all trades. And I try to teach uh, based on plumb level square, no matter what trade they get in or what they do in their life, uh, whether it's residential, commercial, we all follow the plumb level square rule. So we begin with uh, reading a tape measure and reading it accurately and then transferring that measurements onto materials and cutting them and so forth. So it's been interesting. I'm accustomed to teaching one or two apprentices at a time on a job site right. in a very controlled environment. And being one instructor and 10 or 12 students was a real challenge, but it was a great time and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I can see that. And I definitely want to hear all of the stories, but let's first check in with uh, Alex Valle and Kenny Smith. First of all, congratulations on graduating from the program. Thank you. Thank you. I definitely want to hear more about it. Uh, Alex, how did you come to the program? Um, I got a random email through Gmail, and I checked it out. It was just a flyer saying Build 360. I, ain't, I didn't think anything of it, but um, I was talking to some people, and I was like, you know what? Let me give it a shot. Yeah. I came into the first day of the program. I loved it. I loved Miss Myra's attitude, um, and I was open about it um the way she programmed it together was so that it would lead the people that was just there to make the 200 dollars and leave they get out of it mm. and the people that stay and is very motivated to learn they're gonna stay got it and i got through the two weeks and after that every day passed by like it was two seconds i loved every second of it i had a smile on my face waking up in the morning every single day knowing that i would learn more and more every single day. Wow. What a testimony that is. Uh, where are you guys from, both of you? I'm from Camden. I'm from Camden both as well. Both from Camden. Okay. So this was by design. The, the kids were from King Chief in Camden. Yeah. Um, the state of New Jersey, they had a South Jersey Central and North Jersey pot of money. Each was separate. Mm -hmm. And um, I chose South Jersey first because I know it well. But yeah, we wanted uh, youth that were in Camden County. So we had Voorhees, we had Violin, we had Camden Proper, we had someone from Cherry Hill. So they were from all over Camden County. Okay. And they brought different kinds of approaches and stories to it as well. Okay. Um, I mean, the kids from Camden Proper, they were just raw. I loved it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Kenny, tell me about your experience and how you came to the program. Um, At first I was... um. I was in a hard time in my life, so, like, it was hard for me to get jobs and um, come across things where they wasn't really doing background checks. And um, I came in the house one day, and this paper was on the, um, it was on my TV stand. It said, Elwine Opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it, and I just said, I, I need to um, keep trying to elevate myself and be a responsible man for my pop. Yeah. So I, I went the first day. I'm like, oh, is this going to be a drag? Is it? Is it going to be what it's portraying to be? And I, I something 
was in me like, bro, you're not no quitter. You got to finish something all the way through and see how it is, even if you don't like it. Yeah. Um. By like the first week, I would start liking it, and um. Even the classwork, cause I see the classwork was breaking people. Like even the first time for me, it was breaking people. Um. Finding square feet. So um. After that, I'm like, all right, I, I can do this, cause I see how guys like Mr. Bob, um, they came from. Well, they didn't know how to do this at one point. So I know that all right, if I keep staying with it, I can learn more. And throughout the program, I ain't gonna lie, I'm like fascinated and I'm amazed with it. Wow. Because I've um. I found myself last week. We, Missing everybody that was in the program, missing what we do, missing being on certain sites, I mean, certain jobs and doing certain things. I'm, I'm looking around my house like, dang, what can I do? Yeah. Can, I, can I help? Can I put my sister on this project? There's certain things, but I'm really thankful okay. for the opportunity. Kenny, how old are you? I'm 21. Alex? 19. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I see their, their eyes light up when they're talking about this program, so I can only imagine, you know, what they learned about themselves as they went through the program, and we can definitely talk um, more about this. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Walk me through cohort one, Alex and Kenny. Tell me a little bit more about what you learned. And of course, we'll bring Bob in to really, you know, to fine tune things. But what are some of the things that you learned during that cohort? I learned that um, things might not always be right, but you can make them right. Like you can, like the wall might not be level, but you can level it out before you frame. You can make sure it's level to the point. It might be off the wall a little bit, but your frame is level and your wall would be straight. Mm. I learned. I learned a lot, to be honest. Um, for me, I like the paneling job that we did. I'm always waking up thinking about it. And like, <laughs> dang, I wish I could do that again. Mm-hmm. Because it's certain cuts and blueprints that we couldn't get down by like the next week or third day. We got down and was like, all right, this is becoming second nature. Now I know I got to put in. It would be time. Our instructor um, was helping another person. It was like, but we keep it going. We don't need to stop. We don't need to wait. Mm-hmm. But it would be good, too, because, you know, safety first. I just mm-hmm. learned a lot. Now I really, um, I like um Okay. Okay. Alex, tell me what you felt was the most challenging part of going through the process. The most challenging part was learning everything in such a short amount of time. I kept up with everything, but learning how to measure one day, learning how to do fractions another day, learning how to stud a wall the next day, it all moves pretty quick. But if you keep up with it, you'll learn everything from instructor Mr. Bob. Mr. Bob. Yes. Sounds like they really went through it, but they were able to keep up with things and and see things through. Talk about some of the things that they learned and your challenges even with teaching kids who had no experience. Because they're all different, um, I try to give the attention where it was necessary. First, the hardest thing for me was to determine that, where everyone was in their skill level. And above all things is safety. Nothing tops safety. Everybody leaves at the way they came in under their own power with everything attached. And that's what we talked about constantly. Tools can be dangerous if used improperly. And sometimes even used properly can be dangerous. So we concentrated a lot on that, and we learned how to use the tools accurately. And one of the things Kenny was referring to is if you take a wall that's unlevel and make it level, I believe what he was referring to is we framed a wall at a location here in Philadelphia. The floor was unlevel, but when we constructed the wall, it was plumb and level. We compensated for that so that when we walk away, everything appears to be correct. We can't control the conditions we walk into. We can control the conditions we walk away from. 
And in the construction industry, it's a fluid environment. Things change constantly, especially as in the carpenter trade. We have to change our approach to things. And I try to teach these uh, students, as I've learned myself, to always look for the solution. Mm. When a problem arises and happens frequently, what are we going to do about it? And how are we going to make this efficient and uh, acceptable to the end user? Rarely are we the end user. And um, these guys paid a lot of attention. We had a couple of rough spots that they didn't understand. But because of moving at such a quick pace, I would have to um, give instruction without explanation. Not a big fan of that method, but it was necessary to keep on pace. And then at a later time, we can back up and say, well, this is why we did what we did. At the time, I didn't have an opportunity to explain, but now you see the result and you understand why. Okay. Myra, how many students are in each cohort? Um, So our commitment is uh, for 24 students. We started with 17, and as um, Alex and Kenny mentioned, a few dropped off, which was intentional on my part with the design of the curriculum. Uh, So the first three weeks is all math for construction, reading literacy, emotional wellness, getting your mind straight about what you're doing. We had nutrition classes, and now they all want plant-based snacks. They came in wanting donuts. (laughs) And then they were asking for fruit and plant-based snacks uh, at the end. Um, Just, you know, because construction workers tend to eat not as healthy, and we want them to have a healthy start with this. Um, So they had a lot of classroom time, uh, diversity and inclusion, what to do, you know, when you are a minority on the job site. Um, And it was really good, the dynamic of this with uh, Bob and uh, the two other instructors, especially Bob, because the reality is, for many years in the unions, it has not been a lot of people of color. Right. And the people who are not, the, the whites or the others, are starting to retire. And it's good that we're getting some new blood and, and people of color ready to assume those positions. And that was the other goal for me in putting this program together. So we made sure they had, oh, they had their OSHA training by the third week. Uh, they had computer literacy. We taught them um, about their paycheck um, and money management. What's the difference if you're a 1099 versus a W-2? Mm-hmm. What are those taxes? What are those different categories? We taught them about investments. I think Kenny's on it already trying to invest some of his money. And um, I think they mentioned the $200. So I even went back to the state and did a budget modification. I said they have to have some money in their pockets to come here. So we gave them $200 every two weeks. Great. So it wasn't a lot, but it was you know, to keep for their transportation, you know, food or whatever. And we made sure we fed them every every day. So there were 10 of them that finished, two females. Um, we had gender expansive individuals. We have Spanish. We have African-American. And I think our oldest is 24 and our youngest is 19. Wow. Yeah. And Alex has already started working. Two students started working this week. That. So Okay. So you, you've already been placed. Where are you working? I'm working for this company that installs radon systems inside of somebody's home. Um, Basically, what radon is, it basically doesn't eliminate the radioactive gas that comes from underneath your house, but it swells it down. Um, The experience that I had yesterday, because yesterday was my first day, Hmm. it was an amazing experience. I loved who I worked with, um, and we ended up getting the job done, and I had a great time getting the job done. I'm actually in love with the job that Miss Myra applied me with. That's great. That must make you feel awesome. That's good. That's so rewarding. Seeing them happy and, you know, 
leading productive lives. I mean, you know, I don't remember which student it was, but I know one time Kenny and I were talking um, on a Tuesday because the program is Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And so they had a long weekend. I said, well, what do you do on the weekends now? He said, nothing. I don't want to have any bad distractions. I just stay in the house and wait for the program to start again. And I was like, no, you're young. You need to go out, have fun. He's like, no, I don't want that. I want to stay and wait for the program. So it does. It makes me feel really great that they're on their way, you know, Um this I wouldn't even say this is the future. This is the now. Yes, this is the now. And I love that attitude, Kenny. And, you know, a lot of these kids came from the streets. You know, they were real honest about their backgrounds and what they were doing and all. Yeah. And I think we've seen significant change. And I'm really proud of them and proud for them and what they're going to accomplish. I can't wait to see everything they're going to do. Bob, you must be proud as well. I mean, what is it like to see the transformation? It, for me, it's been amazing to watch them from the beginning of the program till now. Unless you've worked in the construction industry, it's really hard to understand the dynamics of a job site and to be able to introduce them on a limited basis to uh, a world that I really, really enjoy and to see that they have an opportunity to earn a good living, learn a trade that once you have this knowledge is with you, it's yours. And one of the things that I uh, spoke about a few times with these guys is um, our jobs can't be outsourced. You have to be hands-on right here, right now to do what we do. And there's an accomplishment, a feeling of accomplishment when you walk away. Even if you're building something for someone else, it's very satisfying to see that you've accomplished that. Yeah, absolutely. I can tell. Myra, talk more about the emotional uh, wellness support sessions and why I thought it was important to bring that into their training. Yeah, so um, our young people, especially minorities and women, are traumatized. I mean, being on the streets, um, you know, every one of these students has said that they've had police stop them or question them just walking down the street. Um, I, you know, I don't know everything that goes on in their families, but I, I was an ED for a social services agency, so I can just imagine what happens in some of the households. And um, I felt they needed an outlet. Many of them didn't understand what emotional wellness was. And I kind of had to, because there's stigma around saying therapy. So I, I, you know, I said, I want to support you in a different way where you can just talk. Mm-hmm. And they said it was their favorite class. Um, really? and I'm not going to say it's a class, but it was their favorite time. Um, and we continued it. We were only going to have it at the beginning um, for the first like four weeks during the learning process. But then when I saw that they were really opening up and um, we had an amazing um, professional, Dr. Sheena Rudd. She's amazing. She works with the Black um, Doctors COVID Coalition um, and Dr. Stanford. So she's really amazing. She's younger, so she gets it. She's from the neighborhood, you know, so she gets it. And they really um, connected with her. So we continued to have it, and we kind of broke it out of a group setting into individual settings, and we would bounce back and forth. Sometimes it'd be groups, sometimes it'd be individual, and everybody had a chance to say something. And I think just getting your mind right before any opportunity like this is very, very important. And keeping yourself grounded is very important. So we're even after this, um, and one, not through the funding through the state, but through my own funding, I told them that I would continue this for them for like the next three months so that they could talk to the the emotional support person. Great, great. Yeah. Kenny, what was... What did you think about the emotional support aspect of this? Anything you learned about yourself or you were happy 
to be able to get off of your chest? I think it was great. Um, it was certain situations I didn't feel comfortable talking about to anyone. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, when you first around new people, you don't really want to talk to nobody. You just want to stay silent and stay to yourself. Um, as we got closer with each other, Machina helped us get closer with each other, um, each other's lives um, and all that. We just started talking more. I felt like it allowed me to open up more. Not to a point I'm letting me out to another person, but to the point this person knows enough about me and mm-hmm. and I can help them. They know I'm here for them. They know I'm there with them. Um, emotional wellness definitely was like a great thing. Good, good. Yeah, keep talking, keep therapy. We need to destigmatize therapy. Yes. I go to therapy. I mean, I think everyone should, no, mm-hmm. no matter what. We all have things we need to talk out. So I'm glad that this is part she, of it. My bad. She she actually changed my view on it because I, I grew up my whole childhood in therapy and I never really liked it because mm. only seen it as they're getting paid to do this. They don't really care about me. She really cared about us and I've seen that. And that, that's what made me change my views. So. Right. Yeah, I'm glad that changed for you. Thank you. What about you, Alex? Um, When I first heard about emotional wellness... I'm the type of person that I don't like to open up about my feelings at all. I'm very shut in and I like to keep everything to myself um, so that I don't show it to other people at all. But when I first came into emotional wellness, I was thinking the same thing. I'm not going to talk. I'm going to just let them talk and hopefully she skips me. But one day she called on me and I started opening up about one day my relationship, one day about my father. Um... Those are two very important people in my life. And when I opened up about it, that's when my world opened up. I'm, I felt like there was a weight lifted off, off of my shoulders. And I just came out of the program that day, super happy, energized, and I had a different outlook on things. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. That's great. This is such a great program, Maya, I have to say. I, I'm just happy to learn all of the intricacies of this program, and I think it's just wonderful the way you put this together. And I understand that you guys built something or a couple of tables that were in high demand. Yeah, some, some picnic tables. The picnic tables. Tell me about these picnic tables. <laughs> <laughs> well, it started out as a, a project. I wasn't going to be available for a week. I had to go for training myself. And I wanted a project that would keep them busy. It was simple enough that they could accomplish, but complicated enough that they could learn something. So I handed off the plans and the, uh, the instructions to Myra, but that wasn't able to be accomplished that week. So when we came back, when I came back the following week, we worked on the uh, picnic table plan. We were able to go to Home Depot, get all the material. Um, the students were able to cut to size, learn to cut angles, use their, the skills that they had learned for the tape measure and applying the measurements to the, the material, uh, cut it, assemble it, drill holes, use carriage bolts and nuts, uh, screw everything together, a couple of hiccups where things weren't right, we fixed. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly enough, when they were done, um, there was really a peaked interest in people wanting to yeah. purchase them. Wow! And it was really just a school project that, you know, these guys did excel that. Wow. Yeah, they did. Wow. And we, so we looked online because everybody kept coming by saying, are these for sale? And we were going to donate all of them to the, the county. And then people said, no, we want to buy them. And we said, okay. So when we looked them up, we realized the value was like $1,000 because they're eight foot and they're beautiful. Wow. Um, and then, so we sold them at a discount, like 300 350 and then what we did is I took the money and put it back in the program. So And now other people are calling wanting these picnic tables, um, but they were really good. And it was great because, you know, the, the kids were saying, like at the end, they said, Ms. Myra, 
not only is this changing our lives, but it saved our lives. And that was such a deep comment. Like, I had to go home and process that later. Like, yeah, it's meant to change your life, but saving your life? Wow. You know, um, one student said, I had a safe place to come to every day. I didn't have to be out there on the street yeah. getting shot at or harassed or getting into trouble. So I'm just glad we were able to do that for that short time until the next cohort. Great program. So meaningful. Uh, obviously, this was impactful on their lives. Give us the information. How can people learn more about N1 Opportunities and your programs? Sure. Um, so N1 Opportunities, they can reach out to us. Um, our phone number is uh, 267-945-6999. They can follow us on social media. That's probably the best way. And they can just put in N. W-O-N-P-A, N-W-O-N-P-A. Okay. Myra Brown, uh, Robert Wisely, and Kenny Smith and Alex Valle, thank you so much for sharing your experience. Myra, this is an awesome program. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you, Raquel. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank Thank you. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. If it's happening in Philadelphia, Shara Day Howard knows all about it. Here's the latest, Shara in the City. Disney's The Lion King is on stage right now at the Academy of Music along the Kimmel Cultural Campus. The Tony Award-winning musical has been on Broadway for about 25 years and on the road for 21. And now I got lucky and had a chance to meet an important member of the cast who happens to be a Philly guy born and raised, Jeremy Noel. And he shares with us how the magic comes to life. Welcome to Bridging Philly. Thank you so much. So let's talk about The Lion King. Yes. Now, everyone knows The Lion King because of not only the story and the emotions it brings, but the talent that it attracts. Yes. Like, you can't play around. You can't be a joke and do this show. No. (laughs) So let's talk about you and what you bring to this show. Yeah. I actually play a plethora of a lot of characters. So I start with the elephant and then I go on to the grasslands. We are the um, savanna of Africa. Um, And then we go into uh, hyenas. And then I'm a human sometimes, we fly kites, but it's like this human to puppet communication. And that's kind of the puppetry in the show. Anyways, I also understudy Simba. So uh, with playing Simba, a lot of people, they'll look and they'll be like, oh yeah, I think I saw the mask blink. And I'm like, no, the mask didn't blink, but because of the connection with the mask and human, you don't ever separate the two things. You just look at one thing, you're like, oh yeah, that's just Simba. Whatever I do, I don't have to do more than what the puppet needs because the puppet is going to do what it needs to do or the mass is going to do what it needs to do from just me just telling the story and being present with the show. All the other things come after that. Every time I go into the show with whatever's happening outside of my life, The Lion King itself is just such a joyous, triumphant spectacle of a show that the moment I'm in that space, it's just joy. So when you're in that room and you're doing your best and you look out in that audience, Hmm. right? What's that one part in the show where you really feel like people are with me? Circle of life. It's so iconic. I mean, it's the start of the show. 
it starts with no music at first. It's just Rafiki with her, nah. And from that moment on, everybody is just in tune to the show. And I play the elephant in the show um, with three other castmates. And I walk down the aisle and I get to see everybody's faces. It's just like surprise, wide eyes, no matter how old they are. And they're just so happy, so excited. And I actually just remember when I was sitting in the audience and I saw the show for the first time, that was the first thing I saw. It was the elephant. And I remember just seeing this thing. I just look up and I'm like, what is happening right now? And you would think it's a full-size elephant. It's just amazing, honestly. And so that part, just going back to how I felt, I know that I'm making people feel that same exact way in this. And it's just amazing to have that come back. Now, when we talk about what you do, you do behind the scenes, on the stage, as well as this symbiosis with the audience, right? That's a whole nother character. Yes. You know? But can you describe what goes on behind stage, and then also, what are you doing on stage? Okay, yeah. Um, Well, for first thing, um, before the show even starts, I pray before the show um, with castmates. And it's just to, one, um, know that we're all protected and just bringing that home that we're just grateful to be where we are and thankful to be where we are. And I'm always <laughs> warming up, making sure when I get on the stage that everything is great for the stage. Actually, when I'm on stage, it's kind of cool because I get to do different things. Like, um, sometimes I'm the background of, and I'm setting the scene for the show uh, with the grasslands. What we sing, it's like we're the wind in the show. So you just hear this, this calm singing in Zulu and Simba and Mufasa are up on the rock and you just hear like it's the wind. You're not even thinking much of it but we set the scene for Simba's first lesson. This is Mufasa teaching Simba about becoming king. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts. Yeah, so we do things like setting the scene but then also I get a chance to give power to what is one, the Lion King, what is the circle of life, what it is to conquer over um, and, and triumph over all your difficulties. And that's in one by one where I actually get to just be a human. And this is the first time where everybody in the cast, it's not an uh, animal in the show. We are the humans flying kites or just some people aren't flying kites. Some people are leading. And that is a direct communication with the audience where we're sending a message directly to them that uh, also is important to the show. What does that sound like? Yeah, um, one of the parts we go is uh, in the very beginning we come out we're just going, Mama yeah, Mama yeah, Mama yeah, Mama yeah, Mama yeah. And we come out and it's um, just the men first and it's our chests out and the grass heads, it's just spectacle. It's the, it's the Lion King. You're like, wow, this is, they're setting the scene. And then the women come out and we're kind of coming around and we're still saying, mama, yeah. And we're going, what's up? What's up? And as Simba and Mufasa are on the rock, we do this light. And it's just all setting the scene for what is about to come. I feel and like you just transported me. And that's the thing, though, is that's what we want to do to the audience. We don't want them asking questions while they're there. We want them to be present and just be transported into the world that we are in. And so by setting that scene, by setting the, just the pace, we're all 
together in one space. And it's amazing actually to look out and while you're doing these certain things to see people so focused and they're just listening so closely. And in turn, it just feeds what we do also. And we're like, okay, they're actually, they're really listening, really listening. Let's give a little bit more. Let's give a little bit more. Let's, and it's, it's truly amazing. It's reciprocal. Yes. Because 100%. what you're giving, you're getting back, and that somehow is giving you something to stand on. Exactly. And then when it's, say, like, now you switch completely to Hakuna Matata, and it's a completely different thing. I mean, this is the first time you see Timon and Pumbaa. So now the, everything, you know, it started and ended with something that was very sad, and now you get into, the, again, the joy and you're just, you're, Hakuma Tata is just happy. It is just happy, no worries. And you see the switch from the audience just focused and, and, and just there and, and present to everybody like, I love this song. People singing along. I mean, everybody knows Hakuna Matata. So that's my favorite part too, just people singing along. It is so sweet. And so, um, yeah, you get so many different emotions when you come to the show you're not just there you and you think you're coming to see what you saw in the animated uh film but when you come you're like i can't believe how much i'm feeling i'm feeling so many different things from circle of life to the grasslands to you know scar coming up and stampede and you feel that rush of stampede with the wildebeest coming down and and simba running for his life and then you get into kuna matata and it's just joy and happy like so many different emotions and we feel all of those things while we're on stage too and so that reciprocal energy i know the audience is feeling that too it's amazing. It almost feels spiritual. Oh, 100%. 100%. And in part of the show, we are singing as the ancestors that are reaching down to Simba and basically telling him um, that it's in the song. He goes, I know that the night must end. I know that the sun will rise. And that's in his song. And we're singing those words to him um, so that he knows that he's not alone and that he can rise up above all the things that he's going through and everything that happened to him. And so, and even that, it is very, very spiritual. Um, Healing generational wounds almost. One reaching back. Yes, yes, yes. And I think in a lot of ways, people can connect with that, you know, feeling lost, feeling like they don't have a place. And um, watching Simba go through his journey, you know, he was very lost and didn't really know where he belonged. And he spends the entire uh, second half of the show trying to figure out where he belongs and where he's supposed to be. And he remembers those words from his father. He remembers those words from his ancestors. And um, Rafiki, through Rafiki too, who has a direct connection with, with the ancestors, he finds the inner king in himself, finds his inner father in himself, and everything that his father had told him to be, he becomes eventually. And he, he overcomes all of those things. And so it's just very, very spiritual, very, so much faith. Like I, I think about faith a lot. And when I do get a chance to play Simba and I listen to the ancestors and my castmates singing as the ancestors, it is so important for me as uh, Simba to fully listen and be present and not expect it, not think I know how it's going to affect me and just be open to, because every night it's live theater, it's different every single night. And so I just let that affect me. And in turn, it's a different response every night that I get a chance to play Simba. And so it's a different experience every night that I get to play Simba. It's transformational. Super transformational. Yes. Yes. So expect people, when you go and see this, expect to be transformed. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
again, like, I think people come and they're like, I think I know what to expect. It's the Lion King. And then you go and you're like, oh, I did not expect this at all. This is completely different. Like, you've turned my childhood or something that I um, relate to my childhood, whether it's a parent that showed The Lion King to their kid or if, it, I mean, it's, it's also timeless, the show. And so whatever you think you thought with the animated film, you get so much more. You give it life. Yes. We bring the show fully to life. And everything that the show is today was the same as it was 25 years ago. So when you think about that. But now no- it's on your lap. And now it's on my lap. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember I was in high school and we were doing a career day and I, you know, I wanted to do theater. I didn't always want to do theater, but by the time I got to high school, I was like, okay, theater is definitely what I want to do. And we were doing career day and I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And I just remember going back to my childhood and I was like, man, like I love those days watching The Lion King and walking around the house pretending I was Simba, playing with my cousins and my brother. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this show one day. I'm going to be able to play Simba one day. And it's, look at you now. And here I am in the show doing the circle of life, being able to do Simba. I get to do both. I get to become the show and then also be in the show, which is very, very special. What a gift. You yeah. share that gift with so many people who look up and they see your face. They see your talent. They feel the energy. Yes. And I'm very, very grateful to all those people, uh, especially my parents who just really paved the way for me to be able to do what I love to do. And they never said no. They never questioned it. They were like, yeah, you got it all the way. They were always very supportive, came to all my shows, um, was there when I was auditioning. And so um, to be here now and and they've seen the show, now they've seen the show like four times, but <laughs> no, they've seen it quite a bit now. But just to have them in the audience there, like supporting them. When I'm up on that rock as Simba, or if I'm in the elephant, I can just say, wow, look at me. Like I'm here, you guys paved this way for me. Thank you so much, so grateful. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly, at Raquel on Air, and at Shara Day. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. For Shara Day Howard and our producer, Patty McMahon, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. Mm-hmm.